Okay, great. Um, how do we do this? Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, we're uh, 10 episodes in and I'm still forgetting what I'm doing. Okay. Okay, <laughs> try number two. <laughs> All right. Hi, everyone. It's nice to hear you haven't heard my voice in a while because I was away for a few weeks doing a study program in Washington, D.C., where I am now. But we're back with a more personal wrap-up episode because we're actually ending this podcast. But stay tuned for more podcasts from the Kiev Independent. They're going to be great as well. So, and I'm, of course, as always, joined here by Kat and Agata. Hi, guys. Hello. So for the wrap-up, we wanted to do something similar to our intro episode, which was more personal than the usual ones. And we've gotten a lot of really good feedback from listeners that they really enjoyed that stuff to our surprise. So we thought we would just reflect on, you know, nearly six months of this war, how we're feeling and just talk about some of the current events. But first I wanted to, I actually realized when prepping for this episode that we never told you guys where our name came from, did the war end. And it's a, it's, it's a very, very cute little story. So in the beginning of the war, when all of us were in Krakow, Kat, you were there, right? You, you were with us. Yeah, I was. Yeah. So all of us were in Krakow in Poland and we went there. Um, I was reporting from the border for Kiai and other outlets and the girls were volunteering, doing a lot of really cool stuff. And one day I was in Pyramyshyl, that's a little uh, city on the Polish border. That's the main Polish train station to which all of the refugees arrive from Ukraine. And back in March, I mean, you guys can imagine the situation there was extremely hectic. You know, hundreds and thousands of people, hundreds of volunteers. It was a lot. It was very overwhelming. And I was writing a dispatch from there, just, you know, an op-ed of what things look like and how that makes me feel as a Ukrainian. So I was going around this room packed with kids playing on the floor, you know, people trying, you know, to collect their belongings, figure out what to do, where to go next. and I tried to talk to this woman who seemed, you know, quite upset, but she didn't want to talk to me. And of course that's fine. So I stepped away, but her little son was near her and he seemed perhaps eight or nine. I'm not sure, but he he was little. And he came out to me and he just asked me in Ukrainian, did the war end? And out of nowhere, he didn't say hi, didn't say anything. He just asked me whether the war ended. And, and I stood there completely frozen. And I, I had I had no idea what to say. I mean, I did know that the only thing I can say is that, of course, it will very soon. Don't worry. You know, we're all going to be home. But it struck such a chord with me. I mean, I remember yeah. telling you guys about this because it, it seemed so tragic, but also so hopeful at the same time, because this kid, I mean, I don't know the extent, you know, of his experience. I don't know where he came from. I don't know how much how much of these terrible mm-hmm. things he's seen and heard. But, you know, all he wants is to go home. All he wanted is for this to be over. And so I knew that I sort of wanted, in a way, to dedicate what we're doing to him and, you know, millions of other kids uh, for whom that's the only question. And not only kids, it's it's the question for all of us, just like we have it in the description of our podcast. This is just one of the hundreds of questions that every Ukrainian asks every day. Nagata, you have, you have two little sisters. Have you had any conversations like this with them? Do you know at all how they're feeling? Yeah, I have. And actually it makes me really sad. I was thinking about it the other day. I actually had a really sad moment the other day because, I mean, it's been six months, as you said, and we're all 
we're adapting, you know, and we're getting used to live a life that, uh, well, we have to live, I guess, even though in my head, I'm still Definitely. living in February, like genuinely this morning, this morning, I straight up, I was like, so it's going to, it's going to be on February uh, 18th. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> it's not February anymore. It's literally August. Uh, but I don't yeah. know. I have a mental block, which tells me that it's still February. Uh, but anyways, and my parents, well, they're in Kiev. My sisters are in Kiev. Oh, they went back. I didn't know that. I thought they were still in Germany. Yeah, they're there now. I was supposed to go with them, but <laughs> plans changed. And uh, I wasn't able to go for it, whatever. I had, I had some document issues. But um, first of all, they said, this made me really sad. I actually started crying on the phone because they, they said that everyone is so happy to see you. Everyone is so nice. They're so happy that you came back. And that's so sad. That genuinely makes me feel so sad because I'm, I'm going to cry now. Like genuinely, I think about it. And I'm like, that's so sad. Like people just, fe- I feel like they, you know, they kind of feel abandoned. And the fact that people are coming back, it's just, it's such, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of hope for them. I was going to say, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's not only feeling abandoned, but also feeling like, are you doing the right thing by staying? Even though everybody has different reasons, especially if you're, you know, someone like a journalist, you know, everybody asks me why I, la- why I went back and why I didn't get the hell out but you know for me it's it's my job and it's your duty and for many other people also they just want to assert their right to be in this in the city right now and protect it and i'm sure watching everyone leave or watching your close friends leave you you start doubting yourself like am i am i am i doing the right thing yeah especially i think about okay this is kiev but like let's Mm -hmm. talk about kharkiv i'm i'm sure you know there's obviously so much of of a bigger threat and there's Every obviously day. shelling, there's, you know, and people are staying. And that's just, that's remarkable, really. But the other thing that my mom told me was that my my little sister, she's nine. She was so happy to be back. Like, genuinely, she Aww. was just so happy. They they went to a Ukrainian concert. Uh, there was a Ukrainian concert on Golden Gate a few days ago. It was uh, Kozak Systems. What, was it? Yeah. what is it called? Kozak System? Yeah, yeah. And she loved it. She was so happy. And that made me even sadder because I'm like, do you imagine just we're a generation of kids that we've lived abroad? You know, we are for us to go somewhere, we're able to make this choice. And it's kind of it's in a way it's easier for us because we're more adapted to it. But there's these kids that were growing up and they have a certain future. And now they just don't really have a choice and they want to get this life back, especially they're growing up in a different Ukraine. They're growing up after Maidan. You know, it's Ukraine, which they love. And now they don't, they don't really have a choice to stay. And, you know, and they just the fact that like you're, you're back in Kiev, there's a war, but you're still just so much happier than you are abroad. Like, that's just so sad. And so I was crying on the phone, made me really sad. And it made me think about that's because she loves home so much. Of course, of course. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's everything is super pessimistic, but it just really puts certain things into perspective for you. And it also puts this idea in your head that like, I have to do my job and I have to try to help and put as much effort into um, having a positive impact on Ukraine, even if wherever you are, because that's the only way that, you know, our, our, our our brothers, our sisters, like the next generations are going to have a happy future in our country. I had a similar conversation because I went to visit my grandparents this past weekend who live near little Odessa, actually in New York. And I went to visit them and we were talking. It was the first time I had seen them since the war started because, you know, I've been in Poland, they've been in New York. And we had 
kind of this similar conversation where, well, first, my grandparents, I don't know realistically if they'll ever go back to Ukraine anytime soon. Like, I don't know. It had been a while since they had ever been to Ukraine in the first place because traveling. Do they not travel back? It's hard for them these days, like kind of they don't travel as much recently. They don't move around as much. So they haven't been to Ukraine in in a little while. Mm -hmm. And about this sense of abandonment, I remember I was talking to them. First of all, I started crying there as well because my grandma, I was talking about Victory Day and my grandma was like, I just hope that I live to see it. And it was like really sad. Oh, my Um, God. I know. This is going to make me cry right now. But um, that was. Yeah, guys, it's wait, 9 a.m. and we're crying. It's not even my wait, grandma. It's not even, but anyways, yeah. what I was initially... Wait, I just want to let our audience know that she is indeed in tears right now. Yeah. <laughs> Continue, um, Kat. Okay, so, but but initially why I wanted to bring this up was because I think that there's this very big nervousness when and sense of abandonment where a lot of people are very afraid that because of the war, you know, they don't know, like people are going to leave the country behind. And with all of these millions and millions of refugees fleeing, I've spoken to a lot of people who are really afraid of, you know, oh, 10 million refugees left the country. How many of them will want to come back after living a life, you know, not under constant shelling and things like that, especially um, people from the East and the South that have been dealing with this for way longer than we have in Kiev. And it really struck a chord with me because I was speaking with my grandmother and she was saying, you know, I, I hope that I live to go back to Ukraine after victory. And she asked me, she was like, will you please go back? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I'm literally going to start crying. I was like, what do you mean? Will you please go back? Like, that's like all I want in my life. Like, you don't have to ask me. And she was like, do you promise yeah. me that you'll go back yeah. to Ukraine? Even if it's just to visit. And I'm like, that's not even a question in my mind. Like I've always planned to go back and live there. I plan to go back the minute I graduate. Like I will be living in Kiev. And she was like, are you sure? Like you're going to live there. Will you live there for me? And I was like, yeah. And it was really sad moment because. That that is so sad. Well, it was sad for one, because I think everyone that knows me would never have asked that question of, you know, will you please go back? And that's not to say that my grandmother Mm -hmm. doesn't know me, but to say that this anxiety and insecurity about wanting to make sure that people love your country as much as you I think that, you know, that is projected in terms of she wants to go back, but will her granddaughter kind of feel the same way? Like she wants to pass that on to me and make sure that I hold those same feelings, even though I tell her every day, you know, I I love it. I'm going to go back. Don't worry. And I think that there's a certain amount of denial that it doesn't get through to her to understand that, that, that really, I I don't care about anything else. And so it was really sad to, to see that, you know, people really do have these anxieties and insecurities, even though everyone right now is, is on the, like, I love Ukraine train. I, and you know, my grandmother loves, knows that how much I love it, but she's still, when things got serious she was like okay in all seriousness no will you please go back and that really just kind of broke me because I don't I don't know yeah um I just wanted to say that I feel like we all have this anxiety and that's it's very scary because I think that you're just used to hearing this that like 
oh, people are going to move on. You know, people forget things. They're going to have their own life. Like they're not going to care about this. But I've always had this feeling. I just, I I hate saying this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're going to grow out of this. But I do want to think that our generation is different. I always (laughs) say this to myself and I'm like, no, you guys don't understand. Like you don't understand. Like we've had this love and we've been developing this love, especially since 2014. And it's, it's not something you can just break down and say that, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to move abroad. I'm going to just like live my normal life in Europe because this is what I, I feel like for all, even for all three of us, well, at least for all three of us. And I'm sure that there are so many more people who feel the same way that this is what you've already been building your life around. Like you've already been thinking that I don't care. I, there, there's things that this is that are important to you, but this is the yeah. most important thing. And the most important thing has been taken away from me. I'm not yeah. just going to give up because it's always going to stay at the back of your mind. And I'm not going to give up. I'm, even if I'm like, I don't know, earning a million dollars, but I'm never going to be happy if I'm not home, if I'm not like in the home that I remember, you know? I actually just got a tattoo three days ago. Um, I that saw that. Is, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to show a yeah. little peek for you guys. <laughs> okay, then we're just going to pretend like you saw it. Um, but okay, so I actually just on that topic of home and coming home i literally just got a tattoo about that two days ago it's it says m06 that's the you know the name of the highway which is i think the chop Kiev highway which is the highway you know on which is the you know the road to my house to my village and that's the highway that i've on which i've been you know this is the highway that i've been taking to go home my whole life and especially now this is the highway that also leads to Lviv and to the Polish border. So, you know, in the past, I'd be coming from the airport, that kind of stuff. But now it's like literally anytime I go anywhere out of the country, I drive that goddamn road that's now half of it is like destroyed, especially you guys, you guys, you, you've been on it. This is the Zhytomirska Trasa that you're driving into Kiev and you see all of the destroyed buildings. And I, yeah, I, I really just wanted to commemorate that and, and, you know, and engrave it in me that there's nothing more important for me than coming home. I feel you. This is why I also have a <laughs> tattoo of my coordinates of my house. It's the most important thing to me. People are always so confused. They're like, why did you do that? I'm no, like, you don't understand don't when you're sitting there and it's the first first couple of weeks and you're like my home. Like the most important thing for me, it's something that I love so deeply is going to be yeah. taken away from me. You just want to have it yeah. somewhere on yeah. you always, you know? I also think going going back a little bit, I don't have any tattoos unfortunately yet. mom yet. mom if you're listening maybe one day um but going back to what agatha was saying about our generation being different i mean first i think that these tattoos that you know a lot of young ukrainians are getting these days really encapsulates how much we are grounded to our home and yeah. i think that yeah it really represents how much we are like physically intertwined with our home and i think reflecting again on the conversation I had with my grandmother, I think it's different and harder for them to understand because my grandmother immigrated out of Ukraine during a big wave of immigration in the 90s. And so Mm -hmm. for her to think, you know, she immigrated with this massive wave out of Ukraine and now her sons and her granddaughters are just trying to get back in. I think it's a really crazy thing to them um, to understand that. And so that's why and that's why I'm trying to tell her I really do think that our generation is different. Like Agatha was saying that we want to go back and you don't, you know, you don't have to ask us like this is something that is driven, 
you know, that we've been driven by for years now. And it gives me a lot of hope for the future because when I told my grandma that, that, you know, there's no doubt that I'm living there, she was so surprised. And that gives me a lot of hope that, you know, it really is kind of a little different this time around. I I, I was going to say that I don't really know your grandma, but the sadness she, she was feeling must have been also from the fact that perhaps I mean, I'm sure she has a really comfortable life and she enjoys living where she she lives, but she must have a sense of, you know, FOMO and missing out in a way. Like yeah. she must she must feel like, you know, she didn't get to live her life there. So yeah. now she wants you to do it for her, as she said. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I also, I don't know if you guys have had this. I had, speaking of, I'm just going off of, on down my depressed <laughs> That's fine. This is, that's what this episode is but, for, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I recently, so um, my friend and my flatmate, Lera, she came back. Well, we all know her, obviously, but for the audience. She came back from Kiev a few days ago and she was showing me videos. She's showing me videos of the drive from Kiev to Lviv. And it's just um, Ukrainian village houses uh you know the ukrainian fields and i i watched that video and i just like i genuinely another time i broke down and i was like oh my god i really you know i really do miss home and that also got me thinking about the fact that we're in europe or in the u.s right now and we're trying to do you know all that we can because we know that right now we have to be here and we know that we're Mm -hmm. a lot more useful and we can do a lot more um not you know like kind of working abroad and coming back yeah. in a few years and helping rebuild Ukraine when, when, when there's yeah. going to be a place for us. But sometimes it really gets a yeah. little bit overwhelming and you think, and you're like, why me? Why am I doing this? I just want to give up everything because it feels like it's so much pressure because if you're not going to do it, then nobody else will. And that really broke me down a few days ago. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I just, I feel so overwhelming. Like, what if it's not going to work? Like, what if everything I'm doing is just oh, for nothing? And what thoughts. if, I'm just wasting my time. And it's so scary because you're like, I just want to give everything I can. And I want to just like do as much as I can. But what if I'm just not doing the right thing? And what if I'm not in the right place? And what if this is not for anything? And what if I should just give up? And obviously you don't. And that's the like, I feel like we're yeah. all such strong people. We have because to we be. really like ta- taught ourselves that exactly we have to be. But it's it's a it's a crazy feeling that you you get every once in a while because you have these it, everything was easier. You know, it was easier before. Uh, to a certain extent, I guess, you know, and now it's, it's tough and you really have to suck it up and tell yourself that no, like we're gonna have to keep going, but it does get really tough sometimes. First of all, I really feel that on the pressure. I mean, Agatha and I work on a project together outside of this pod. And so it's an organization. <laughs> organization. Sorry. I always underestimate us. It is an NGO, but anyway, I know. Yes. And so, but anyways, I definitely think that we, we get that a lot with the things we do and the amount of pressure. And also, I mean, I go through waves of being cynical versus being optimistic about this because there are some days where I think I'm so, I mean, optimistic is the wrong word, but more inspired and invigorated. And I'm really kind of excited that we get the chance to put the work in. And there are days where that makes me happy because as someone who's a bit of a perfectionist, the fact that I get to have a contribution to the way my country develops is really exciting for me. And those are the good days. But then on the bad days, it's kind of, it feels so frustrating that we're still trying to do this. And this is, you know, out of, I can't imagine how frustrated our ancestors 
that got our independence for us 31 years ago feel watching us have to yeah. do this. And then them, you know, their ancestors who were maybe, you know, in the six years dissident movement, watching them. And it's just sometimes I feel so cynical that they we have we have not quite gotten it yet. Like we we just know we're still trying to get it. And that is so frustrating. It is very frustrating. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. But then either way, at the end of the day, your optimism wins. And this is what has kept us going. And this is what well, what has kept our ancestors going. I honestly don't know if it's the optimist that that keeps me going. It, it's it's spite. It, I think it's it's spite, but it's also the fact that I can't I can't physically do anything else. I, I, I you know, you, you I, I have had these conversations with you, you know, like my life plan was something completely else. I was going to go report in Iraq and Syria. You know, I, I wasn't, my plan yeah. did not involve living in Kyiv, but then when the war began, I, you know, everything completely changed for me. I can't imagine doing anything else, even yeah. if I, honestly, even if in the back of my mind, I sort of want to, I can't because, you know, what we, what I feel towards my country wins over yeah. any other motivation I have. Exactly. But this is why I don't, I don't want to think, I, I really don't want, um, negativity to be the driver of our generation and to a certain extent of course it will be because we're going through so much trauma and that's obvious but like i, I don't know love is so, it's, it's it's such a cliche thing but it is it's such it's such a stronger thing and the fact like you're doing this primarily because of the love yeah. that you feel for your home yeah. for your identity rather than the spite that you feel for the russians of course that exists and of course that is a big driver but I, that's not this is not something that i want to define yeah. ukraine by i want to define ukraine by the love that we feel towards it and you know wanting to contribute to its future rather than saying you know because you don't you don't you don't really build 100 percent. you build things i, I, I remember i remember one of the um anton timoshenko uh, one of the ukrainian comedians um who i've met he's a great guy and i've gone to his show so if you guys are ever in Kiev. Uh, he does English shows as well. Um, so I remember he had a joke about how, I don't remember exactly how it went, but basically that if you take all of the Russian artists out of the picture, how are all of the Ukrainian activists going to be building their narratives and like defining Ukrainian uh, identity that it's, it's no longer anti-Russian music, anti-Russian culture, then what is it? What is going to be there? What's going to be left? And he's got in a lot of you know, shit for it. He got so hated for that on, on social media. But, and I get why people may get angry at that. But at the end of the day, it is very true in my, in my opinion. Anyway, we, we can't. Yeah. We can't build our identity on, on, on the back. We're still building on the backbone of Russia, you know? Exactly. Because anti-Russia is still connected to Russia and it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, there is, the, there is an element of that. Of course, I agree that we have to cleanse our, you know, cultural environment and field from 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 Russian content and that's a different conversation to have but my point is that we can't just focus on that only there is so much beauty in this country that has nothing to do with Russia and never had and it doesn't do it justice if that's all we do i actually i wanted to talk about this on this episode today because i was going to ask you guys you know what the biggest lesson you think you've learned in the last 6 months was and mine was learning what love means, I think. And that's why when Agatha said that, I, I, you know, started thinking about this and I, I know it really does sound so cliche, but I wrote this little thing, um, because I would send my friends back in the U S 
daily or weekly little updates. And one of the updates I wrote was on the meaning of love. And I wrote to them and I was sitting in Krakow and I think I had just come back from Viv from seeing Nastya there. Um, and I wrote them this letter saying, like, I think that the love that I have for my country has shown me what love means in so many ways and not just the good sides of love, but also really the bad sides, like this pressure that we're talking about, the pressure of wanting to dedicate your all to something you love. And sometimes that consuming you a little bit, like a lot of these negative and conflicting emotions, as well as, you know, the highest highs and all of the hardships and sacrifices that you have to make, but that makes it worth it. And so I really do think if there was one thing that I learned, it's that I've learned what I'm willing to do for the things that I love. And I've learned what that means and how that affects me. And I think that that's something that has really changed my perspective on, on life and what's going on. I think I really understood the meaning of home, I guess. Or I guess it just, the word really grounded me in that in that sense, if I'm even using the word in the correct context, forgive me, English is not my first language. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, j- just a year ago, I really saw myself as, you know, what we, what we say in, in Russian, Chalavek Mira, you know, the person of the world. Yeah. I, I yeah. didn't, people would ask me like, oh, where do you want to live? And I always thought that that's the dumbest question any adult can ask, like an, a, a young person, because... I never cared. All I cared is about is having an interesting job. That's all I cared about. You know, a job that would fulfill me and make me happy. And I didn't care if it's in goddamn Zimbabwe or London or DC or anywhere else. But now I think that, you know, my 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 perspective really changed because I really care about being home. I mean, a part of it is also me and my personal struggles with being tired of traveling, you know, for school, for work and, you know, I, I, I think I told you, Kat, I really feel old when I say this because it's like I'm 21 and I'm talking about how oh, I'm so tired of traveling. But it's it's just how I feel. It's just the truth. You know, all I want is just to be home for at least a few years, but also long term. You know, I want to I want to walk my streets. I want to go to my cafes, talk to my people and really feel that I belong here. And I, you know, right now when I came to D.C. for the study program, I I, I remember usually when I would go anywhere for school or work, I would try to fit in, you know, I would try to not feel like a guest, you know, I'd want to really experience, you know, the local culture, be local in a way for a short period of time. But right now, all I'm doing is asserting my Ukrainianness. I wear my Vishvankas like every day, like every other day, I wear my, you know, Ukrainian national clothing for those who don't know what a Vishvanka is, which should be embarrassing on episode yeah, 12. Point, people. Like... Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I listen to Ukrainian music constantly. I, I talk to everybody about Ukraine and I keep in the back of my mind that this is temporary, that I am, that this is going to end and I'm going to go home because that's the only thing that matters for me right now. And it's such a huge change for me. It's a radical, radical change because I've always taken pride in the fact that, you know, I'm so adaptive. You can, you can throw me in any part of the world and I'll figure it out and I'll make new friends. I'll learn the culture. I'll, I will learn the language and I'll be fine. But I don't think I'm fine anymore. I think all I want to do is go back to Kiev and to Irpin and to Bucha and, you know, and be with my people. Yeah. I think I was just thinking 
about what you guys were saying. And I guess what I learned was, because uh, I think Nasty, what you're saying, it's it's really interesting because that's something that all of us went through. I, I went through that a little bit earlier just because of my <laughs> my personal life. Let's just call it that. But um, I've always, I, I mean, what you're saying about being a global citizen, not really understanding who you are, it, it does, it's a, it's a very interesting point because it is something, you know, just in general, when it, we're talking about our Ukrainian identity, I think a, a lot of people before the war, they were still confused as to what that means to them. And I mean, even for me, I've kind of started to realize that, okay, I, I know I feel Ukrainian. This is kind of how I understand it, but I didn't really, I couldn't really put it, piece it together. And I wouldn't be able to tell you, okay, what are the ways that, you know, me and uh, somebody from Odessa or from Viv, like, and what way are we similar? And so I think that, um, the war, it really brought this into perspective for me. And I finally understood what it means to be Ukrainian and why we make this choice to, why we have this love for our country, why, we, why we're nostalgic when we want to go home, you know, and why we make this active choice to do this. And it's very much about freedom. And I think that I personally really understood the price and the heavy weight of freedom. There's so many things that we take for granted, first of all, which you know, obviously we won't be able to get back. And that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's basically the destiny and the fate of our country, unfortunately. And we've always had to fight for our freedom. And I've only really understood that, like, I really understood that in retrospect recently, when I started thinking about the fact that you, I, I, you know, and, and understanding that even the, um, the lines are national anthem, the fact that you're willing to give up I don't know, your soul and your body, like your life for your freedom that I feel like that's something all of us feel. And that's so powerful. And that's not something that I, I mean, I didn't understand. I, I, I understood before the war because it's very, very subconscious and you grow up with it, but you don't realize it until, you know, it's taken away from you. And I also, you know, even being in France now, I look at the people here and I think that, wow, freedom is such a basic, right? Oh, yeah. You know, yes. Yeah. At, at this stage, it's not, you know, it's, it's something that they're never going to have taken away from them. And I kind of, I really hope we're going to get to this point that we're going to be, I don't know, like the French Can and we not we're going to be like able the to French sit down and just many other ways. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What I'm trying to say is that I want freedom to be a basic right. I don't want it to be something that we constantly have to fight for. I really hope that we get no, to yeah, this I point. Totally understand this, especially, you know, being in the U.S., where I was just going to say, try living in America and talk to me about, you know, how they feel uh, taking about freedoms for granted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, having these American kids talk about how socialism was actually a great concept and a great system and just hasn't been tried properly. You know, having these conversations with people when they live in one of the you know freest societies in the world, of course, you know, I know we're going to get stoned for this. All things considered, you know, we. Uh, guys whoever is listening trust us we know all of the things that are up top with america but you really have to compare it with societies like russia like unfortunately unfortunately i hate to say this but like belarus yeah. um you know like other countries uh, in you know our neighbors who really have no idea what freedom is or had a very little taste of it and now don't have it anymore which is even more terrifying um yeah, yeah. so I think, yes, I think the world collectively, um, you know, the, the countries in the West, people there should should watch what's happening in Ukraine and take notice to be more grateful of what they yeah. have. 
And that doesn't mean closing your eyes on the domestic problems yeah. because there are a lot of them and they're terrible. But in the grand in the grand scheme of things, you know, people don't have to be scared about sending their kids to school and having their kids be killed by Russian shelling. And that's something that millions of parents in Ukraine have to deal with. Well, in America, we're worried about an AR-15. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. That's actually, that is actually an amazing point, Kat. I was trying to have such a dramatic moment here, but okay. You just ruined it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, you very much. It. Well, no, that's totally valid. So yes, guns. And Anthony, yeah. you're probably going to cut this out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> no, 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 Kat. Kat, you're totally right. But I think my point still stands. You guys know yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah. No, that in course. the grand scheme of things, people have to, in the grand scheme of things, people have to respect their freedoms and value them because they can be very easily taken away. I also think that I've had a lot of conversations with Americans and Westerners, not only about, you know, how our conceptions of freedom are different, but also our conceptions of home. So kind of bridging what you two were talking about, um, because I've had a lot of conversations with people who think that the idea of nationality is outdated and that they think that they're, you yeah. know, that people are beyond geographical borders and that these borders are arbitrary and that we're all citizens of the world, which obviously I'm kind of oversimplifying a complex argument. And so it's not to say that there isn't some validity to the point about, for example, immigration and things like that. but. I always, you know, find it so hard to swallow when someone tells me, I think it's silly to be proud of where you're from because you didn't choose that. And I mean, sure, I, I guess I didn't, I didn't choose to it's be ridiculous. But, but some people genuinely think that, like, I've had people tell me that, like, obviously not in the context of the war, because that would be a bit rude, but I've had people in other conversations when we've been talking about like we've been talking about just traveling and stuff like that. And I've had people say that, oh, they, you know, they don't really broadcast where they're from because it's silly. They didn't choose. So they don't really buy into the whole nationality thing. And I, I mean, I kind of understand where they're coming from, but I also think actually, no, like we did choose because if we hadn't chosen, we wouldn't be Ukraine right now. If we hadn't chosen and we hadn't stood up for that choice, we would be, you know, Malorosia, we would be Novorosia, yes. we would be whatever the hell. And so when people say, oh, you were just happened to be born there, you didn't choose. So why should you be proud of it? I say, no, actually, I mean, that might be the case for a lot of countries that have had these freedoms for a while. But for me, even just in my lifetime, we've had to make that choice. And so it is something that I can be proud of. And I do. And I, you know, I'm proud of my nationality and the fact that in just our lifetimes alone, we've had three or four separate occasions where we've had to say we choose to be Ukraine. And so I, yeah. Yeah. It's very powerful. Yes. Like it's so, it makes yeah. you yeah. feel so proud because you, as you're right, you yeah. are making this active choice. And that also, I never realized that until I went abroad to study and People were like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Ukraine. And that was the first yeah. time people were like, that's so cool. And that really made me think, yeah, that's so cool. This is my country and it's it's an amazing country and I'm so proud of it. Like I want to, I don't know, I want to talk about it. I want to wear my Vyshevanka, yeah. I want to wear my Ukrainian brands because this yeah. is what makes you unique. Yeah. And you are a representation of the country just as, you know, a country is an embodiment of you. And right now is, 
you know, the ultimate time to feel that pride, especially, you know, especially because we're kind of starting to travel in time a little bit with those events in Crimea. Um, you know, all of the uh, mysterious uh, smoking <laughs> and fire safety violations that's been happening. So much trouble over there with all the tourists. Mm, I wonder who's doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, honestly, yeah, smoking is terrible. No one should smoke. Yes. Um, but okay, but on a serious <laughs> note, um, you know, I'm sure you guys have followed the events in Crimea, all of the mysterious hits of Russian ammunition depots and airfields. Um, It's completely crazy to watch. You guys must remember the first time it happened. Like, I think it was a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, It must have been two weeks ago. My Twitter feed was going insane. Like every single one of those people got married today. I mean, the the sheer amount of happiness uh, (laughs) was so overwhelming and so amazing. I mean, Kat, I, I remember texting with you and you said that you cried on the Metro when you saw the news. Yeah, I did. I, I, I did. I cried because, I mean, maybe you guys are better people than me that you're not doing all this out of spite, but I do have a little spite in me. And so for me, kind of seeing that sweet, sweet revenge coming back and just like seeing something that I, I, I also think that I always thought Crimea was something so unattainable. I mean, I I can't, I would be lying yes. if yes. I said that I wasn't, I mean, was I always, you know, Crimea's Ukraine will get it back? Yes. Did I always believe that? Like, realistically, no. no. Like, if I'm being honest, like, I, it, and it was devastating to me to come to terms with that, but there, you know, before the war started, there would be a lot of times where I'd be sitting and watching, you know, the five-year anniversary go by, the six-year, the seven-year, the eight-year, and thinking, you know, is this the new, is this something that we just have to come to terms with and live with and watching that strike and thinking about the fact that if you told me, you know, two or three years ago that we would be fighting back to get it back, like that, like I'm going to cry just right now thinking about it because it just, it's something that I really never thought that I would see us have the capacity to do. And honestly, even if, even if the, potential counteroffensive doesn't reach Crimea and even if it never happens and even if we I don't know don't get Crimea back in the next however months or years that's not that's not the point of this conversation the point is that you you chose the perfect word um unattainable and now seeing that you know we the, you know that that land is within the physical reach of our weapons is something that is that gives me so much inner power and hope that makes, you know, our whole country feel so much more powerful. And it also finally is giving me some sense of goddamn justice because seeing, you know, as, 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 as much of a humanist as I am, but seeing those Russian tourists run around the beach terrified because there is a bit of smoke, you know, far away from them, comparing that to all of the Ukrainian experiences we've had. I cannot say that I felt bad for them. I, I, di- I didn't because they no. need to get the hell out. It's oh, not no. their land. You know, and yeah, honestly, that video of the lady in the oh, car yeah. leaving and being like, "Do not go to show." Okay, for context, she, she, yeah, it was, was amazing. This Russian woman was saying that, "Oh, this is such a cozy place. I love it here so much. I don't want to leave." And I don't want to leave. It's ridiculous to me. It became a big, a big meme on TikTok. It was really good. Just, it was worth it, even just for that. 
That's actually another thing that I was talking with my grandma about that actually because um, I was telling her about the strikes in Crimea and she was so excited and she started telling me about how she used to do all of these road trips. She started talking about Artek, Agapo. We talk about this all the time. Uh, we should, at the end, just play some Ukrainian Artek songs for yes. those of us who've been okay. there and know them. Summer camp in Crimea <laughs> that you know, was a lot camp, of yeah. our childhoods. And so my grandma was telling me um, how she used to go drive around the entire peninsula of Crimea, hit every city, how she would spend the summers in Artek and how, um, and she was telling me all of these memories that unfortunately, you know, I, a lot of them I didn't get to have, like I didn't go to Crimea as much as, you know, I would have if it had been Ukrainian land these past all of these years. And so I was just listening and I, the fact that, you know, that was something almost within our reach again, that maybe I would be able to take those trips for her sake and that I would be able to go back and all of these things, because I remember, because she was telling me about all of these different memories. And she asked me, she asked me if I knew anything about what Artek was like these days. Mm -hmm. And that also kind of broke me a little bit. She asked me, you know, have, is Artek doing okay? And I said, well, I don't know about the it's last not. eight years. But when it's I told her, okay. but, when, but when I told her that my friends, so I've never been to Artek, but when I told her that I had friends in my generation that before the occupation had been to Artek, even that made her happy because she, that was, you know, 20, 30 years after she had ever mm -hmm. gone. And the fact that I said, you know, don't worry, our generation is still holding on to those memories. Yeah. And we'll, yeah. You know, and the fact that we might even be able to pass them down is incredible. Yeah, we, we know we know that Artek is not just waffles. I mean, we, we people in our generation really know what Artek means. And, you know, that goes back to everything that we've talked about. You know, this feeling of continuity is an extremely important thing. And I, I remember before all of these tracks started happening and when I didn't have as much hope on the Crimean issue, even though you guys know I've been I've been obsessed with with you know, everything that's been happening in Crimea. That was my main beat when I started journalism. And I have a lot of friends there, a lot of people I know. But one thing that would bring me to tears over and over is I kept on imagining, how am I going to explain to my child what Crimea looks like without them having ever be able to go there? You know, how am I going to explain to them what Kherson looks like? The city where that child's entire family is from you know, on, on, on their mother's side. You know, I was born in Kherson. My mom was born in Kherson. My dad was born in Kherson. All of my grandparents were all from there. It's our home. It's our land. And I mean, God forbid we never, if we're never able to go there, that's just going to be, you know, the most heartbreaking thing for me because I just keep on, I keep on thinking, and again, this makes me feel terribly old, but because I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm only 21 and I also look 16. So, you know, I, I keep on thinking about when I'm going to have children, because this is something super important to me. How am I going to explain this to them? Because this is going to be one of, if there is going to be anything that I care about as a parent, it's going to be that, passing on Ukrainian values. I mean, those kids are going to be going to school in Vishwanka every single day and eating Vareniki every week. I mean, you guys know it. This is going to be all of our children. But just, you know, the prolonged occupation and the effects of that is, is fascinating and extremely tragic. I also just, I was thinking, um, talking about all of this, 
And given the fact that, you know, a lot of our listeners are Westerners, um, is there something maybe that you guys, is there something that you want these people to hear or, you know, to remember? But just the fact that like this war is going to keep going for a very long time. And for, I mean, for at least, you know, we know it's not going to end tomorrow. And is there something that you maybe want to say and that you want people to like keep like to take away from this podcast, to take away from, um, you know, what's happening in Ukraine? I mean, I'm pretty sure that by now our audience knows that this war has nothing to do with NATO or, you know, or the Russian speakers in Ukraine, for God's sake. Um, So I think. After being in the U.S. for a while and, and having these conversations about the war, I think the main takeaway I want to be that the Ukrainian people will not give up and we will not surrender territory. And, you know, we will not be OK with surrendering territory or, you know, giving up to Putin, regardless of how seemingly strong Russia is and how no, how outnumbered we are. And even worst comes to worst. I I can't imagine this scenario at the moment, looking at the polls and the rhetoric and what's happening in our standing militarily and politically. But even if somehow it so happens that a Zelensky administration decides to concede territory for the sake of just ending this hell, I know that that's not going to fly with the population. Because according to, you know, the last polls I've seen, it was something like, over, I think, I'm not entirely sure what the exact number was, but it was over 95% of the population, I'm pretty sure, was against conceding territory. And again, we can talk yeah. about the issues with the polling, that we can't poll people on occupied territories, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that still gives you a very good explanation for the fact that it's definitely a majority. So, you know, when the majority of the country is very angry, as patriotic as ever, and, you know, is ready to fight for every meter of this land, um, I just I just want people to know that even if even if other countries give up on us, even if they stop supporting us, even if everyone else gives up on us, we will never give up on us, on ourselves. That's what I was going to say, too. I was going to say that, you know, we still need every ounce of support that we can get from the West financially, militarily, um, in public opinion, in attention. We still need it. And what I was going to say is. We are not giving up. And so they shouldn't give up on us because trust that, you know, uh, the American public and the European public just as tired of as we are of the war. They're tired in their own way, which we can talk about how justified that is. But it's true. I mean, you know, the American public for actually a surprising amount of time has had their lives dominated by the news in Ukraine as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so there has to be some sort of understanding that just as, you know, we want this war to end, they've been hearing about it and going through this in their own countries as well. And reminding them that, you know, we're all still in this together and we want this war to end. And that shouldn't end with them turning their backs on us and pulling out. But instead, it should end with, you know, just doubling down support so we can all get victory together. yeah, I think that's perfectly put. And I hope that uh, after the war <laughs> ends, all of these people are going to come and visit Ukraine and see how beautiful it is and share yeah. our love yeah. for I it. I think they will. Well. Yeah, they better. <laughs> We're waiting for you. I guess this is it, guys. I have, I mean, the last thing we can say is Slava Ukraine. 
Thank you so much for listening. And we'll yeah. see you in another podcast. We'll see you, we'll <laughs> see you again someday, for sure. <laughs>